welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. My name is Ben Standig, and yes, I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Excited to be back with you post-minicamp. We've got a lot to get into. The guest today, our friend, the one and only Al Galdi, of course, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Uh, the, our, the way we talked about the football team today was we each made our own Way too early, 53-man projections. We're not going to be held responsible for anything we say today that doesn't pan out when this, when they start training camp in Richmond at the end of July or, or you know before week one because a lot of things will happen between now and then. Who knows? Injuries. They may sign some other players. Or, you know, we could be wrong on a few things. But we went through position by position, discussed um, who we thought made sense to to stay for each spot where we saw the competitions within the positions, then specifically the 52 and 53 man roster spots, you know, that, you know, comparing the hypothetical, you know, sixth or seventh wide receiver to the 10th offensive lineman to the fifth safety and so on. And one thing I want to mention, um, I'll have a new article up on the athletic. By the time you see this, it's going to be up um, Monday morning, the basis has uh, of the stories about the name change. No, it's but it's a little with a twist, I guess I should say. Uh, as people know, I'm a mock draft kind of a guy. And last year, when this whole name change first started, when they dropped the Redskins and then eventually went to the Washington football team, I wondered, could once I learned more about this process, that it does take 12 to 18 months, whether you're changing the name of a soda, soap, or a professional sports team, that that's generally the way this goes. What does it entail? What is the process? What happens? And once I learned more about it, I wondered, could you simulate the process? Well, we tried. And that's the story that's up on The Athletic. I uh, worked with a branding expert. We uh, we had a couple of different panels involving alumni and fans and some folks in the media. Uh, my colleague, uh, uh, Tarek El-Bashir, helped out on this project. And we also got an update from the Washington football team as to where things stand with the name change. So I'll talk more about this in detail later in the week. It was an interesting process to say the least. I'll let you know what in more detail what I learned, but you can also gather some of this by going to The Athletic and checking out the new article. And I think when we talk about it later in the week, we'll add to be able to add some additional detail that's not already in the story. So I encourage everybody to go check out that story. So fun conversation there with Al Galdi. We also got, of course, into the quarterback uh, competition talk. And speaking of that, uh, Ron Rivera spoke uh, again post minicamp. Yes, he did. I thought we were done with the Washington football team until until Richmond, but we found out on Friday that Ron Rivera was going to speak at a Joe Gibbs uh, led event Saturday, the Youth for Tomorrow, a, a charitable organization that Gibbs. Um, and his foundation uh, run that, that helps uh, troubled youth uh, w- w- at, through education and, and other ways. And um, at that event, which uh, wasn't really sure what was going to happen there, um, it was interesting on a lot of levels. Obviously, there was there were some alumni there. Doc Walker was there. Got a chance to talk to Charles Mann in person. First time I had ever done that. Dexter Manley was there and a, and a handful of others. Um, but it was also the first time we had a chance to speak with Ron Rivera for me in person since the 2020 combine. That's February of 2020. You know, a few days after that, uh, you know, th- is when the pandemic really, you know, sort of uh, 
hit and, and everybody, you know, <laughs> went, went indoors for a long, long time after that. So uh, Ron Rivera, that, that was an opportunity to talk to him. It was the first chance for some uh, for some of us on the beat to talk to him in person at all. So an interesting, just uh, from a human perspective, that part was interesting. I will note um, some others were there. Martin Mayhew was there, had a chance to uh, talk to him. Scott Turner was there. Nate Katzer was there. Marty Herney was there. Some other people with the organization. Jason Wright was there. So uh, an interesting time there. Now, from the football perspective, let's get to a couple of things that Ron Rivera said. Now, Ron Rivera spoke. He, he was the guest speaker, as I said, at this at this uh, event. And he talked, uh, said some nice things about, of course, Coach Gibbs. He talked about the team in, in certain ways and, and culture and the importance of that. But we had a chance, the, the four reporters that were there, to talk to Ron Rivera after the fact. And we were able to get into a couple of things about Ron Rivera. And so first of all, he was, he gave us an update on his health. It's now been, I think seven months, um, since he's been cleared. And, uh, you know, he, he said he's, he's doing well. He'll still, of course, be getting checked out, you know, for, for, for some time to come, but, uh, you know, sounds like he's doing well on that front. You know, he looks good. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought he looked good from afar, but seeing him up close, you know, gives you a different per a different perspective uh, for sure. He talks about, um, I, I'm not even sure how we got there, but we got to uh, sort of the linebackers and safeties, specifically, you know, the idea of the Buffalo nickel position that Cam Curl played last year. And here's what Ron Rivera had to say about that this year. He mentioned some other names of some people um, with regards to that. He, he, quote, a guy that we're looking at is Kalik, as in, I'm saying this now, Kalik Hudson, of course, their day three draft pick a year ago, who was primarily only a special teams player last year, uh, back to Rivera. Quote, he's a guy that could do that. And it's funny because we talked about it with Landon. Uh, you know, Landon plays it already. And because anytime you change and shift and motion, you see Landon come down. That's really what it is. It's a big nickel type guy. And it's and really, it's kind of funny because people go, oh, well, then he's a linebacker. Yeah, but that guy has to have the ability to play the post. So if you got a chance to put the two best safeties out there and a post safety, you're going to feel pretty good about the things that you've done mixing, that you've been doing mixing it around. So the two things that were notable there. One, we really haven't heard any mention of Kalik Hudson as far as, um, is it Kalik or Kaliki? Kalik. Crap. I, I, I hope I'm not butchering that. I, for, I forgot now. It's 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 been a minute since I've had to say his name. Uh, and even we haven't heard about mentioning Hudson. We'll go that way at all uh, on defense. He played a little bit last year at the end of the year when there were some injuries, but by and large he's been just a special teams guy. It's only been the one year, but we haven't really heard too much about him at all this cycle. You obviously have Jamin Davis, Cole Holcomb, John Bostic, David Mayo has looked like sort of the fourth linebacker. If somebody were to go out, he was playing some with the ones a bit uh, this past week when John Bostic was out so um that was interesting and then as far as the landon collins part goes you know look there's been a whole discussion is landon collins going to be a safety or is he going to be a linebacker and jack del rio told us no he'll be a safety landon collins certainly believes that and i'm not doubting that at all and, and ron rivera is not even saying that here but it is interesting that when he talked about sort of the um the big nickel he he uh, I'm sort of going a little bit off memory here, but he talked about 
Collins and Hudson didn't really go into the Cam Curl thing. And obviously, Hudson Collins is out now. He's still recovering from his Achilles injury. He's expected to be back ready for the start of the season. But Cam Curl is going to be the one who'll be out there running with the starters and playing that strong safety spot. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when we get to uh, whenever Collins gets back on the field. You know, kind of how they deploy everybody there. Uh, the other thing Rivera talked about was quarterback, in part because I brought it up. Um, I brought it up um, because, you know, Ron Rivera made a comment the other day that essentially that, you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to have a, a quarterback you must rely on for everything if you have a well-rounded team, which is, you know, an angle that he was going with for this year. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously, as the projected starter, but but that's not the same as having a Matthew Stafford who they tried to get, let alone an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady and so on. So, of course, it makes sense that Rivera is going to go with this um, notion of, you know, having a well-rounded team is is also fine. And it's not wrong, right? I mean, look, Nick Foles was a Super Bowl winning quarterback in recent years. Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff were quarterbacks in a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, teams have had success with a less than OMG type of quarterback, which is what Washington would have to do this year. But I wanted to ask him about this in part because Joe Gibbs was there when no sort of Joe Gibbs' history. So before I say anything else, here's Ron, here's, uh, there was a few of us there, but here's me talk, asking Ron Rivera about his quarterback situation. You've talked, you've talked before about the idea of like, you don't have to have a quarterback to do everything because you have a full round of teams. Joe Gibbs famously won three Super Bowls with all different quarterbacks. Yep. So you sort of yeah. take That's any of things we talked about. We talked about the quarterback position. You know, it's important and there's a couple ways to do it. You can have your franchise guy that does everything. Or you can have your guys that, hey, do what they need to do. They can manage game, they control the tempo, or they can win it if they have to, or they can make big plays. Or you have the franchise that everything's built around. And so for us, looking at what we had, and he was right, one of the things that, you know, Coach Gibbs was right, one of the things that I did talk about was when I watched the tape on these guys, we got a chance to look at some of these position players that were here already. He's like, you know, this is not bad. It really isn't. We were successful last year in the draft. We feel good about what we've done in free agency last year. Now we got a chance again to see if it works. You know, if we did good in the draft, we did good in free agency, we could take another step. But, but it, we won't see until we get started. But it would be cool to have the franchise quarterback there, right? Yeah, it'd be expensive, and you might not be able to keep those other guys up. Right? See, so there's a little give and take with all that stuff. So, you know, we have to be alert and be aware as we, you know, as we put the team together. How can we keep as many players, you know, around? And, and, and really do it from inside. Well, one of the things that we talked about, Martin and Marty and, and I, we see that talk about is if we can continue to do well in the draft, you know, you can do that. You can keep some of your guys, more of your guys, and, and have to let them go. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, you really won't know until we get started in, in September. All right. Um, so, I don't know, interesting, in, interesting stuff there. I mean, you know, of course he's going to want – a long-term, a, a bigger-name quarterback. But, you know, they, they didn't panic this offseason to do that. They tried to get Stafford or were willing to give up a first and a third, which, you know, for, for this team would have been, um, man, you know, cost you Jamin Davis. And I don't know which pick that would have been, but let's just say it would have been the first one, Benjamin St. Juiced, uh, the cornerback in Minnesota, or De'Ami Brown. But let's just say for argument, take St. Juiced as the, as the first pick. Um, you know, those are two players that Washington likes and with good reason. Uh, Damon Davis could be a three-down linebacker for them. And St. Just performed nicely during the offseason workouts and, and could be their third corner here uh, pretty quick. So, uh, you know, 
that is the give and the take of the whole situation for sure. Um, all right, so let's get into it. Here is my conversation with our friend Al Galdi talking 53-man roster projections here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, you know you know him, you love him, you follow him on the Al Galdi podcast. He is the great Al Galdi who was kind enough to join me for one of my reindeer games here. We're going to go 53-man roster projections. I don't think I need to say it's way too early, but I guess I will for anybody who's going to take this overly seriously, but we're talking the day after mini camps ended training camps, not for six weeks. The season's not for six weeks after that. So there's a lot of time for things to change, but here's where, here's what we think things stand. Uh, but first and foremost, Mr. Galdi, how, uh, how are we doing today? I appreciate you having me on very much. Uh, you've come on with me plenty of times, so I'm always happy to return the favor. And I also feel like I need to stay in your good graces because you seem to maybe be Ron Rivera's favorite. That, that was like an inside joke that he referenced with you on that press conference the other day. So I, I said, I got to stay in Ben's good graces. Otherwise, I could be on the outside here when it comes to the football team. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, just for people who don't know. So, uh, so Ron, so yesterday, on, so we're talking on Friday, on Thursday, uh, I was high on the list of the post-game, uh, of the post-practice questions i start and ron goes ben 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 it's almost like he was doing a caliendo kuiper impression or something yeah and he's like he's like how are you he's like did you get your like temperature check today or something and so basically like every day when we have had to go out to practice we have to they're not they haven't been making us do the full-blown covid testing but they're doing at least a temperature check to make sure we're all good before we walk out to the field it's all outdoors of course but whatever so yesterday when i or wednesday when i showed up everybody i was with other people and the 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 person who was doing it that everybody else is fine it gets to me he's like hmm they keep pushing it over and over again he's like wait hold on a second they let somebody else go through and he comes back and he goes hmm i don't know i don't don't know what's going on here and then and they were like i'm just kidding they were trying to like make me think i had a temperature Uh oh i was like and and the odd the, the the thing was just like that day that morning i had gone into a store for the first time, not like a 7-Eleven without a mask on. I mean, I'm vaccinated and all that. And I can know we can't, but like, I have been sort of like, ah, you know, I've, I've been doing more things indoors. So the fact that they picked that moment to try to mess with me, I was like, come on. He got you. He got you. Well, that was good. That was good to hear, but good to be on, man. Looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, all right. So uh, like I said, we're going to go through the 53-man roster. Each of us will, will, will state where we're at. Obviously, I, I guess – to some degree, I have, a, have an inside advantage having been out there. Al's is going off of what we're all saying. But look, it's OTAs. It's minicamp. I promise you that everything that you're hearing from us on, on these podcasts, on Twitter, articles, everything is a slight overreaction in, in all fronts because there's no hitting, really. There's no tackling. Everything can't be done full flat, you know, flat out. Ron Rivera even pointed out that, like, you know, the offense is limited to what it can do. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, pass blocking and, and some other things um, and similar to the defense, you know, there were times where like there was one play. I remember where Taylor Heineke threw a touchdown pass to Antonio Gandy golden in the front of the end zone. And if you just see a tweet that says that happened, that sounds good. But the play was blown up like five seconds earlier by one of the linemen getting in there on the pass rush and the play never would even have happened, but whatever. So take it all for a grain of salt, a gra- grains of salt. But that said, there will be eventually a roster and there's a lot of interesting decisions and debates. Um, so we can just go through this line by line before we start. Is there anything you have 
just some broad thought about sort of the, as we go through this exercise, a sort of broad thought about where things stand with the roster? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is easy. Um, I know it's been said before that like, hey, you know, they're deeper than they used to be and they're going to have to cut good players. I think there's real validity to that this year. Um, there are some position groups that are obvious. There are others, though, that are not. And I think what you also have is some position groups at which you're going to want to keep more people than normal, which means in other spots, you're going to want to keep fewer people than normal. So it may not break down in that traditional way that a 53 man roster breaks down in terms of you have, you know, X amount of running backs, X amount of receivers, X amount of offensive linemen. Uh, There's a numbers game that I think the team is going to have to play with here. And also what we're going to do here, we're going to go through the positions, but in the end, we're going to circle back to number 52 and 53 because while the positions are within that battle, you know, the hypothetical, uh, you know, this receiver versus that receiver, the actual decisions in the end are, well, are we keeping the sixth or seventh receiver versus a 10th offensive lineman versus a ninth defensive back or whatever the, that, that is more than nine defensive backs, but you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever, whatever the scenario might be. So we'll circle back to that at the end. Let's start normally with these things. We start at the quarterback. Now we're not going to do that. We're going we're, we're gonna, to, we're going to give ourselves, this is like when the SAT, when they let you get the, uh, points just for signing your name we're going to start with the specialists there's no competition here there's one kicker one punter one long snapper in camp i presume that's going to be the case dustin hopkins tress way and the rookie cameron cheeseman three three specialists i think we can probably both agree that's that's the number unless you want to go crazy and tell me tress way is kicking or something uh no god help us if they don't keep cameron cheeseman they spent an actual draft choice that they traded for to take a long snapper so they better have cameron cheeseman on the team and he better be here for the next like 15 years but no doubt uh those guys are set you know it's an interesting thing to me with dustin hopkins he's been here for a long time various regimes multiple regimes now don't ever seem to really want to challenge him you know he's been not bad but he's not been great we saw him go through his struggles last season ron stuck with hopkins I think that actually was rewarded because Hopkins was better as the season went on, was really good in that win at the Pittsburgh Steelers. But yeah, uh, it's very simple. Those three guys will be the three specialists. Uh, For sure. I I almost was tempted to ask Ron yesterday. Hey, Ron, you talk about competition, competition. There's only one of each of these guys. Where's the competition? (laughs) But I I did not. um, I did not do that. And don't ask me how the camera cheese is looking that we, we haven't seen a snap. I don't, those guys are on the other, they're not involved with whatever we're doing or whatever's happening on the main field. Just um, the name, just that name, Cameron Cheeseman, that, that just, that, that's like, that, that, that's like, that's like a legendary name already that that's got, that that's the name of the guy. He's the long snapper. And the way it usually works with these long snappers, right. Is that they're here forever. So yes, he better be on the team. Oh, I think like if you right now, okay. I'll ask Al Galdi this. The year is 2026. Who has the best chance of any player on the roster to be here in 2026? The answer is Cameron Cheeseman. <laughs> 100%. And that's that's not even like a hot take or anything. That's the way. Look, they've had two long snappers the last, what, 20 years with Ethan Albright and Nick Sundberg. So definitely that's the way to go. All right. Absolutely. All right. Let's, well, let's, let's start with the defense rather than the offense, just to, to shake it up a little bit. And let's start. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going back to front here. And hopefully I'm not going to mess Al up here. Let's go to the safeties rather than just split them up corners and safeties. Uh, I'll tell you what I got here. And then you can come, come in behind me. Um, yep. You know, look, I obviously Landon Collins hasn't practiced yet, but we're all assuming he'll, you know, he'll, he'll be back here at some point. And look, I mean, there's always the hypothetical thought that he could be a post June 1st cut, but I don't see that happening at this point. So I've got Landon Collins on the team, Cameron curl, obviously, they signed Bobby McCain, who had some had two interceptions in the Thursday 
practice. Uh, I've got uh, the rookie Derek Forrest, the fifth round pick. And at this point, I would also say DeShazer Everett, who while he's unfortunate for him, can't always stay healthy when given more playing time. He did give them a, a good run presence, a run defense presence last year when he had to play some full-time safety and he is their pump protector, which is a very important position and a very good special teams player and so on. So I've got five safeties at this point uh, for the, for Washington. So I've got six. Uh, I've got them keeping a lot of safeties, which means I've got them keeping fewer corners, but I've got Collins, Curl, McCain, Reeves, Everett, and Forrest. I think they all make the team. I think what they're going to do with McCain is because Ron loves his position flex, right? He mentions it all the time. McCain's going to count as like a combo corner safety. So I think you end up keeping all six. And uh, I think this, at least on paper, is the deepest this team has been at safety in years. Safety has been a major position problem forever. You got much better play as last season went on. Uh, but I think that you're kind of going into a new era here where it's not necessarily you have a definite guy at free safety. They have really, I think, three legitimate options. But you have people who you feel good with. I mean, if it's McCain, Everett, or Reeves, I think people feel pretty good about those guys. You obviously have the issue of Landon Collins, Cameron Curl. It doesn't look like they're going to not play Collins, but I certainly feel like they're going to play Curl a lot. I think you're going to see a lot in the way of three safety looks, which is what we saw last year. So I do have them keeping six safeties. Yeah, no, Reeves is definitely one of those guys who will, 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 will I would talk about it in that sort of the last guy to, to, to decide – and yeah, you make a good point with, with McCain in particular. He's a guy, you know, I heard from some people like that he has always viewed himself more as a corner. Miami moved him to safety at some point. And you're right. Uh, we'll, and we'll get to corner in a second. But like, I could, like, if, if it's sort of like Jeremy Reeves versus the six cornerback, I mean, that could be an interesting way to go for sure. The other thing about keeping what you're saying is a guy like Derek Forrest, when you hear how everybody talks about him, he's like a special teams player first. And they have to figure out what he is at safety next. He has made some plays during these uh, camps, but at the same or these practices. But at the same point, I don't know if they know what he is from a position standpoint. So if that's the case, it's not really like a fifth safety. He's more of a special teams guy who plays safety. So therefore, keeping an actual fifth safety could make some sense. But okay, good. I like it. Off the bat, we have a difference. I was worried that we might not. Of course, uh, I'm glad we don't. So let's get to corner. I'll let you go first here. How many uh, cornerbacks you got? Yeah, so I have them keeping five, which, you know, isn't a microscopic number, but it's also not as high of a number as sometimes teams go with. But I think it's William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, Jimmy Moreland, Benjamin St. Juice, who I know was all the rage on Wednesday, and Danny Johnson. Uh, if for no other reason, Danny Johnson was their primary kickoff return guy last year and actually did a halfway decent job. He's not dynamic, but he was solid. Certainly was better than what they had on punt returns. Um, you know, but Johnson, though, it's more of a special team thing. He didn't play on a single defensive snap last season, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but of course, Washington did enjoy really good health at corner last year for the most part. So uh, I do worry about the cornerback depth. That's why I think the St. Juice pick is so key. But uh, I've got him keeping five corners. So I've got all those guys plus uh, the I've got Daryl Roberts as the six. He was a free agent that they signed this year, a veteran guy. I don't think he's some roster lock by any stretch of the imagination, uh, kind of a journeyman guy, but they were, you know, w without Moreland this week, he was out there a fair amount with the ones, um, which again, doesn't mean that much, but you know, it, at least it shows he was, you know, somebody who's higher up. I originally was sort of looking at it like, could it be Roberts or <clears throat> Troy Aki as 
a, a six corner. They've been using Apke more on the outside, but look, obviously, you know, we, we've all talked about Apke enough. We don't need to go through it again. There's reasons to keep him from a special teams perspective, and he's a really good athlete, but he hasn't shown the ability yet. The defensive back, we'll see how that goes. If Nate Cantor has his way, maybe, maybe Apke does somehow sneak in as the last guy. But yeah, I would imagine Roberts or Reeves would probably make more sense. But okay, but I've got six corners. You've got five. And you mentioned Danny Johnson. I want to talk more about the returners later when we get to the end of the roster. But I do think that's a consideration for him, why he may have an extra chance to make the roster because of that uh, returner situation. All right, linebacker. Um, I'm going to guess you have Jamin Davis, but beyond yes. that. Yeah, he, he made the cut incredibly. Um, amazing. All right, how many linebackers you got? Okay, so at the linebacker spot, I have six. I've got Jamin Davis, Cole Holcomb, John Bostic, Kalik Hudson, David Mayo, who has been with Ron before and is a guy who has played a decent amount. He, he actually was a pretty much a full-time player for the Giants a few years ago. Also has been a big special teams guy. And Jared Norris, who the team made it a point to re-sign in the offseason. He's been a special teams ace, goes back to Ron's days with the Panthers. I may be stretching it and having both Mayo and Norris, but I do have the team keeping six linebackers. So I've got the same group, except instead of Norris, I have Jordan Kanasik making the team. I mean, I, if I remember this right, I think Kanasik beat Norris out when they were both in Carolina. He came in last year. Um, you know, was a player, too, I thought, as an actual linebacker, not on special teams, that he seemed to be okay during these practices. I'm not going to say great assault every single time I mention an OTA or minicamp, but hopefully everybody remembers that. Um, so I, it's sort of in the head-to-head, Kanasik, May, uh, Norris, I think I'd lean – Canastic, but ultimately, and I think Mayo is, is feels pretty safe. He's been out there when they've gone with base sets and no John Bostic this last week. Mayo was the one playing more um, in that spot, so I would think he'd be there. I, I think when you look at the when you talk about depth on this team, that is a position. This is a position where obviously they should likely upgrade. You hope with the Jamin Davis pick in, as a starter, but behind Bostic, Holcomb, and Davis. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, there's hope that Khalid Hudson turns into something more than a special teams player. And he's got, a, you know, last year had, had some had room to grow, but we'll see what happens uh, this time. I, I, I don't necessarily see imagine them adding somebody else before training camp or they may before with some of these other spots. Um, but I would probably guess like the last like two guys here are probably more for special teams than anything. And they'll just have to, you know, kind of hope that they get by with, uh, you know, no injuries and such. Yeah. You know, it was interesting last year. They did a lot of the three safety looks as the season went on. It was basically two linebackers who played. It was Bostic and Holcomb. Yeah, Kevin Pierre Lewis's playing time went down. Like as, as much as they praised Kevin Pierre Lewis and seemed to like him. If you look at his snap counts as the year went on, they went down. So I could see them doing that again this year and just really leaning on two linebackers. Like it, it may end up being the Jamin Davis Cole Holcomb show for a good chunk of this year. You know, I know they like Bostic, but Bostic was up and down last season. I know his name has come up as a potential surprise cut. I wouldn't entirely dismiss that. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I, I think they can, I think they can certainly get by. If they have to only keep, say, five or even four linebackers, I actually think they can get by in doing that. I just don't know that they do do that. Is this where we make a joke and say, Hey, Al, actually, they're not going to keep six linebackers. I mean, just keep six safeties. They're keeping five safeties because Landon Collins can play linebacker, too. Well, you know what's funny about that? Did you watch that Jack Del Rio interview that he did with Julie Donaldson a few weeks ago? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember if I saw it or read it, but I, I, saw, I think I did, yeah. Okay, so the headline of the interview was that Jack said that Landon is staying at strong safety. And he did say that, but if you watch the interview in its entirety, later on in the interview, he essentially says, 
well, yeah, but we're going to do a lot of things that are going to make it look like Landon's playing linebacker. Like, to me, the whole Landon Collins thing, they can call it whatever they want to call it. Um, I, I think it's criminal if he takes away snaps from Cameron Curl. I don't think that's going to happen. So, like, I don't know. Is he a linebacker? Is he a strong safety? Is he, you know, I know Ron made mention of this Buffalo position that they had Curl playing last season. You can call the position whatever you want. I, I think we're going to see a lot of Curl, and I think Collins is going to be deployed in a similar way to a linebacker. Call him what you want to. He can call himself whatever he wants. But I got a kick out of that in that Jack interview because he, he, he saw, on the one hand, he said, yeah, Landon's not changing positions. And on the other hand, it was like, yeah, but he's going to do a lot of things that look like a linebacker. Yeah, uh, no, I, I do think that's interesting. By the way, I'll just mention this now. We'll talk more about this at the end. As far as I know, the practice squad rules, I think, will be similar to what was there last year, which means not only is it a larger group, but you would be able to have veterans, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's been officially established yet, but if it's like it was last year, tell me if I, if I missed the memo here, but then you'd be able to have not just young players, but you'd be able to have a veteran type, and then you can bring guys back and forth, and last year players were able to come back twice you could play a guy off the practice squad twice put him back without losing him the third time you'd have to be exposed to waivers and I mentioned that because when you have guys like Kanasik or Jared Norris like those are the kind of guys who are fringe roster spots anyway so therefore they may not you may not have to keep him knowing that like you said John Bostic it could be the reserve linebacker if you go mostly with a two two linebackers anyway therefore you don't really need the sixth guy and if he's only on special teams primarily anyway that can be a lots of different players so that that's something to keep in mind and we'll talk more about that at the end of this yeah they 100 percent should keep the same practice squad rules i've never liked how strict those rules are i think you gotta expand things you gotta let teams have more flexibility with who they keep and how they keep who they keep i mean i've i've been a big advocate for years get rid of these dopey game day inactives you know everyone should be active what why should a coach have to predict who's going to get hurt in a game i've always found that to be very strange but yeah totally i i mean i i wouldn't mind if they expanded the practice squad but at the very least they should keep those rules from last year i mean at the end of the day this is if this if you just want to view this as entertainment you want the product to be as good as possible and if there's injuries which is going to happen then it weakens the product so why not give teams the best opportunity possible yeah. to keep the make the product good especially like with guy like quarterback like when you get to two quarterbacks if that's how somebody goes what are you doing? You're literally picking up a guy off the street and he has to play like that day. I mean, even Taylor Heineke had a couple of weeks with the team before he had to go play uh, last year. So yes, I'm, I'm with you. It's kind of a bizarre uh, circumstance. All right, let's get to the very fun defensive line. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a break. I'll go first on this one. So obviously breaking news. I got Chase Young making the team. Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, John Allen, Matt Ioannidis. I think we're good so far. Tim Settle. Those six, I think everybody's going to have them in. Now I think it becomes more, more interesting. Um, I have right now eight defensive linemen. And you could make a case you could keep more because it is a premium position, particularly on the edge. But, you know, in general, obviously, you want to win. You're going to win in the lines. So I could make the argument to keep more. And like I said, maybe you only go five linebackers, that type of thing. But for the moment... I'm going with eight, and the two I have behind these guys, um, I've liked what I've seen from William Bradley King so far, one of their two seventh-round picks. Um, you know, I mean, I've heard some good things about him from people who studied the draft, and it, it was one of those guys, you know, everybody everybody says, wow, I can't believe that guy slipped, you know. But, uh, but, but you know, feels like a guy that could have gotten picked a bit higher. And, and then I've got James Smith-Williams, who was here obviously last year, showed a lot of versatility, can play up and down the line. 
Uh, they seemed to like what he was doing last year. Look, he was only a seventh round pick too. I wouldn't make him a, a roster lock. Uh, you know, Tony, the kid out of Penn State's interesting um, for sure. But those are the eight that I have right now. What say you? Yeah, so I've got the big six, the obvious six, and then I do have eight. And the two guys I have on there are the two seventh round picks, William Bradley King and Shaka Tony. It is tricky with James Smith-Williams. I'll concede that because he did play last year. It's not like he was buried last season. He, he played more than I think people may realize. So they clearly have some usage uh, for him, some uh, fondness for him. But Bradley King and Tony, I think, have a potential to be good. We, we know that there is just like no depth at edge rusher beyond the big two of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Bradley King had an elite season two years ago for Arkansas State. I'm, I'm not surprised that you've been told good things about him. He's one of these guys. I mean, it's not a name that most people are familiar with. I'll grant you that. But I think William Bradley King is another one of these athletic freaks who Washington drafted in the draft class. I think he's got a real good shot to make the team. And then with Shaka Tony, um, look, no one's a certainty as a seventh round pick. I get that. And Tony is undersized. But he's another guy who tested very well from an athleticism standpoint. He profiles as a Ron Rivera culture guy. You know, uh, Shaka Tony was a leader at Penn State. He was a team captain at Penn State. I could see them having him on board with this and feeling like, okay, he's our guy. We want him. He's a part of what we're doing here. Um, but yeah, like if they took James Smith Williams and didn't keep, say, Shaka Tony, I mean, my jaw wouldn't hit the floor. And in theory, you could obviously practice squad a Shaka Tony, and maybe you can just practice squad a James Smith Williams. I, you know, I would think that's probably the way they try to go if they do cut James Smith Williams. Right. And that's the thing, right? I think um, not making the 53 is different than saying we don't want the guy. Cam Sims didn't make the 53 last year. Now he might, he's like, he might be their third, their third receiver. And, you know, Jeremy Reeves was sort of the same, the same thing. So, um, yeah. It's yeah, when it's it's a guy not making a 53 is different than saying, Boy, this guy, what a disaster. He's gotta he's gotta go. And as I'm sitting here, I keep thinking, like I said, would I rather keep Shaka Tony or that six linebacker? I mean, I would probably rather keep Tony, but that's nine defensive linemen. And I'm not I'm part of this exercise for me is what do I think? How do I want to structure the roster versus the individual talents and where do I lead? Because it's easy to say, yeah, of course, keep the pass rusher over the linebacker who's gonna be just a special teams guy. But the special teams guy has to play too. So, you know, ha, ha, what's that balance? So it's an interesting one there for sure. And I will just say here, if you told me what's a position that they're going to add a veteran between now and training camp, I would probably lean on that one, which isn't to say that they don't like some of these younger guys. It is just the lack of experience. If Chase Young or Montez Sweat misses any time, like, what are you doing? You're just putting Jonathan Allen out there? Or are you going with one of these guys who has almost no experience? I think – the Ryan Kerrigan thing is really interesting to look back on that. They told him at the start of free agency, we're not going to be resigning you. And yet all they end up doing to fortify the edge rusher position when it comes to depth is spend two seventh round picks on guys. You know, I mean, Kerrigan signed for peanuts with the Eagles. They clearly did not want him back. They, they clearly had no interest in having him back. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world, especially with his free agent market having cratered. And that's a thing like, you know, his market never really developed. If you would have just re-signed him to this cheap contract uh, that he got with the Eagles and had him back as your primary backup edge rusher. But they really were adamant about moving on from him. And we'll see if they're proven correct on that. What was his deal like three million dollars, give or take? Like. Yeah, it's, it's not much at all. I mean, Washington has all this cap space. They could have afforded that. You know, no, no one's saying to sign Kerrigan to a five-year, $100 million contract, but uh, they really did not want him back. Like, when he came out and said, they told me at the start of free agency they weren't going to resign me, 
that's telling something, man. Like, you don't even wait to see what his market looks like. I mean, maybe the market doesn't develop like it didn't. Uh, but obviously, Ron wanted to move on from Kerrigan. Um, the people of this podcast have heard me say this before. I'm going to ask, or I'm just going to point this out. Like, even though we, we view this from the standpoint of why didn't Washington keep him, I don't think it's realistic to think that the guy who is the all-time leader in sacks for this organization who made $11 million last year is coming back for three. I don't think it's realistic that his ego would allow, and not just him, anybody like that would allow that to happen. And you take the OCs all the time. You take the less money to go somewhere else because it's a blow. And I just don't think, I mean, whether Washington had interest in him or not, if we're saying the same contract that Philly offered him, I still don't think he stays. You may be right. Um, I I won't uh, debate you on that. I think, though, he had to have been humbled with what happened. I mean, as far as we know, right, like the Cincinnati Bengals came up as a potential suitor and like there was not much else out there. Now, I know just because stuff isn't reported doesn't mean that stuff isn't happening, but it took forever for him to sign with someone. He just was not that desired a, a, a uh, an entity during free agency. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if he's got if he's got a chip on his shoulder and he wants to prove something, you know, let's see if he does it with the Eagles. It, it, it's still though. I mean, it was stomach turning when he, when he did the fly Eagles fly thing. I still can't get over that. Like, I know he's going to do stuff like that because that's what you do when you go to a new team. But man, that was a that was a reality check hearing Ryan Kerrigan sing fly Eagles fly. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That was a that was a, that was a lot a lot going on. All right, so we're done the defense. So if I'm looking at this really quick here, I've got. I've got 25 defensive players, and Al has also 25 defensive players, right? Plus yes. the special guys. So we're, we're weighted the same, just a couple differences on the on the specific guys in the end, and, and that's part of the thing. But in terms of, like, the allocation, we're on the same page there. So let's flip it to the offense. Let's go with uh, – I guess we can go to the quarterback because, I well, I, I mean, I assume there won't be much difference here, but we'll find out in a second. Uh, I've got the three – Fitzpatrick, Heineke, Allen, I guess I would have them in that order at this moment in time, even though I still I still don't rule out a world where Kyle Allen ends up as the number two, but it does feel to a degree like, you know, Taylor Heineke is more in that spot. And I'm not going to go so far as to say there's a quarterback competition. I've avoided that this whole time. I think it's Fitzpatrick. Um, this idea that people have been saying that, Fitz, that Heineke played better during training camp or during these uh, mini camps, I mean – I guess if you made me grade them based on and ignore everything that's happening, no tackling, the protections limited, whatever it is. And not to mention Ryan Fitzpatrick is facing the defense that people are saying is one of the best five defenses in football versus Heineke is facing a defense that has backups. All that said, I still don't see how Fitzpatrick is anything but the starter, but I think all three will make the team. I thought Ron Rivera's comments on Thursday to you guys were really interesting and potentially very telling. And in this way, I know everyone's focused on Ron talked up a potential or talked up the competition. And yeah, and we'll see if if that's real or not. But he did go out of his way to compliment Heineke, called him an extremely accurate passer. And when asked a very open ended question about quarterback by Nikki Javala, Ron didn't mention Kyle Allen once. And I know it's one answer on one day. It was the final press conference at the end of minicamp. And then, you know, you're off for a month and a half until training camp. So maybe Ron just didn't say Kyle Allen's name because it was a you know mistake or he just wasn't thinking. I, know, I don't know. But we know this. 
Ron's answers at these press conferences are clues into how he's thinking. You know, we, there are many examples of this already in his tenure as head coach. And when he got asked that very open-ended question about how did the quarterbacks look at minicamp, you know, what stood out to you? And he compliments Fitzpatrick and then he really compliments Heineke. And then he doesn't even mention Allen. That really jumped out to me. So I, I just kind of put that in the back of my mind of, you know, we, you and I have had this conversation on my podcast about, well, uh, might they only keep two quarterbacks? Is that possible? And I still don't think that that's probable, but I do now feel like that's more possible than maybe we thought. One lesson from last season clearly is what you think is the situation at quarterback versus what ends up being the situation at quarterback can be two very different things. And we've all kind of assumed that it's Patrick, Heineke, Allen, three guys going to be on the roster to begin this season. And I still would say that. So I am going to go with three guys to begin the season at quarterback on the roster. But, you know, this time last year, it was the Dwayne Haskins show. Obviously, the season ended up playing in a very different way. I, I think there's what we expect, and then there's what ends up happening. They, those things can be two very different things. And Ron not even mentioning Kyle Allen to me on Thursday made me think, like, wow, is Ron maybe not as high on his guy anymore like he used to be? But I do think all three make the team. I think all three should make the team because not a single one of those three guys is what you would call an absolute certainty. So you want options. That obviously was a lesson of last season. You need options at quarterback when you don't have that true franchise quarterback. And so I do think all three make the team. But I am now wondering if maybe Ron's thinking has changed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, his his answer to that when I reread the the, the quotes afterwards and right, the fact that Heine, or that Allen wasn't mentioned because up till now I've been sort of in this boat of, I'll hey, see, we'll see who the number two is. I think that's the competition. But between him not mentioning him, I agree 100% that what Ron Rivera says, it's important to note. But also we had, we spoke the, on Monday with the uh, assistant coaches and Ken, Ken Zampezi spoke and, and a couple questions asked. I asked him one about sort of, what's the thing with Heineke, right? Some people think he's the greatest thing of all time. And other people are like, ah, he's, you know, what's he ever done for real? How do you balance that? And then later he's asked, what's the thing that Heineke needs to do to be a, you know, be a quarterback. And he didn't give a long detailed answer. He didn't come up with a whole bunch of stuff. He just said one word health. Yep. And what that says is, okay, if you're taking him at this, if you're taking that at face value, they believe in the goods the kid hasn't been able to stay healthy. And we've all talked about that. And he Heineke's talked about that, that he's kind of been a bit reckless when he's been out there before because he never knows he's going to ever play again. He's going to go full out. He said on that dive against Tampa Bay that we all, that was a famous, uh, famous play for him last year. Next, if it happens again, he claims he will run out of bounds at the two yard line and live to fight another day. Scott Turner kind of says he doubts that, but we'll see. But the point is, if, he, if they think that his issue is just staying healthy, then that says a lot about what they think. All that said, I, I think Kyle Allen has proven to be an NFL quarterback, and therefore you don't throw those guys out, especially in this crazy world, and when you don't have – it's not like Fitzpatrick's a lock and this, that, and the other. So I do think all three make the team, and uh, you know, Steven Montez is probably on as the practice squad as a guy who could perhaps fill in elsewhere as well. Yeah, I you know, I – I've never been on board with the people completely dismissing Heineke this offseason. I, I, I've gotten a kick out of that. Like, I, I think people have just kind of conveniently written off what he did against the Bucs as, well, you know, that was cute. And it's like, okay, yeah. And yeah, that was just only one game. And it's like, okay, yeah. But I think it's important to remember the circumstances under which Heineke did what he did against the Bucs. Heineke had just signed with Washington a month prior. That game against the Bucs was January 9th. Washington signed Heineke to the practice squad on December 8th. So there's that. There's all the things that worked against Heineke in that game. You know, great Bucks defense. Heineke gets hurt during the game. All those first half drops by Washington pass catchers. 
in that game. The running game for Washington in that game was non-existent. It's not like Heineke benefited from some great game by Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. The Bucs stuffed the run in that game. There was a brutal uh, no-call by the officials in the first half. Carlton Davis interfered with Cam Sims. Officials didn't call that. Like All these things work against Heineke, and he still did as he did on a Saturday night against the GOAT in Tom Brady, against the eventual Super Bowl champion Bucks, I just feel like that game matters a lot. And at the very least, to me, Heineke deserves a shot. Like, I've advocated for an open quarterback competition. I don't know that we get that. But I was encouraged by the comments of this past week from, like you said, first Ken Zampezi and then Ron Rivera on Thursday. I think they look at Heineke as more than just this cute little story. And while I still think Fitzpatrick clearly is the favorite, to be the week one starting quarterback, I think Heineke may be more of a factor than people realize. Barring injury, if I set the over-under, Ryan Fitzpatrick starts at 15 and a half. Are you taking the over or the under? Barring injury, that's a good one. I still would take the under. Even though I like a lot of things about Fitzpatrick, just kind of knowing the way things have gone in his career I and, and the way things went here last season at quarterback, I would still take the under. You know, it's one of those things also like in the past, Fitzpatrick has gotten benched because there's like a Tua Tunga Viola, some young guy stud. And even though the Washington doesn't have that, I, so much of what we talk about sports, when we talk about how does a player, where does a player rank and what we think about them, it is a lot more about perception than reality. But the perception for Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy who doesn't, who gets benched as well as a guy that you do look past that isn't going to give you everything you want. And Sometimes that can be hard to shake. Plus, we know that their schedule, I mean, it's hard throughout, but it's harder up front than it is in the back when you're, fa- I mean, in theory, facing those, the NFC East team. So, you know, if they start off the year, whatever, pick, pick your losing record, um, you know, maybe they, maybe somebody's like, well, like, uh, why? it's not like Fitzpatrick has some crazy long-term deal. And in the past, he's been the guy that's easily to be benched. He won't be, he won't be a hassle. So I, I would go over, but at the same time, like I said, I do wonder about the mentality aspect of, of that. Yeah, the, the thing that I really do like about Fitzpatrick is his two best seasons have been his last two seasons. He's a guy who genuinely seems to be blossoming in his late 30s, which I know sounds ridiculous. But statistically speaking, he's been among the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the last two years. I mean, top eight in QBR each of the last two seasons. There's a lot to like with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I'm excited to see him. But I don't think it's far-fetched at all that he has a two- or three-game stretch in which he throws a bunch of picks, the offense isn't great, and Ron goes to, say, Taylor Heineke for a few games. I mean, I think that's entirely plausible. All right, let's go to the running backs. Uh, I've got Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and a third. I, I For default, I'll go Peyton Barber. I don't know if I totally believe it, only because, you know, again, I point to, look, they're special teams and all that, but – Barber is that he can help on special teams, but he's not a returner. And look, if something happened to Gibson, as what happened last year with the toe injury, they don't have an, an obvious guy to give 15 carries to in a game. It's not Barber. I'm not saying it's Jared Patterson, and I don't know about anybody else. Uh, you're Lamar Millers who are there. So if you tell me that they add a veteran before before training camp or maybe even during, that won't surprise me. But I'll go three, and by default, I'll say Peyton Barber since he was effective in the short yardage and – you know, he's here, but three running backs with Barber default the third. Yeah, so I do have the same three running backs making the team. By the way, when's the last time Washington went into a season with the same three running backs from the previous season? I, I feel like it's been forever since that happened, but Gibson, McKissick, Barber. Barber was so efficient and productive in short yardage runs last season. His, his yards per carry wasn't impressive, but if you go back and look at 
you know, third and short, fourth and short. He was really good. And it, it's been a while since Washington had a dependable short yardage back like that. AP wasn't bad in those circumstances, but I thought Barber really did a commendable job in that role last year. I think Jarrett Patterson ends up being the Marcus Mason of the preseason. I think he ends up playing a ton of the preseason, doing well in the preseason. But he, to me, is going to be, you know, a practice squad guy. Um, I, you brought up Lamar Miller. I do think this is notable with Lamar Miller. So Washington signed him last season. He ended up uh, being inactive for all of the games for which he was with Washington. But then in the offseason, he got re-signed very early in the offseason. March 17th was when the news broke that Lamar Miller had agreed to re-sign with Washington. So, I mean, either he just doesn't see an opportunity for himself anywhere else, or Washington is like, look, we know we signed you and never even made you active last year. But we do like you, and you're going to have a shot here to make this team. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. It's always telling to me, not just like who a team signs, but when a team signs a guy. Miller gets re-signed early in the offseason, so he could be more of a factor than we realize. But it's hard to look at Gibson, McKissick, and Barber and not think that all three of those guys uh, are not back uh, for this coming season. Yeah, I mean, Miller obviously was a pretty good back in this league and every, uh, you know, early down back, every down back, whatever, but it's been a minute because of injury. So um, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, all right, let's go to wide receiver. I think this is one of the most fun discussions for sure. And I'll be curious to see if we do have the same situation here. Uh, Tara McLaurin, I think he's good. Curtis Samuel, I think he's good. I think Adam Humphreys and Cam Sims. Actually, let me back that up. I think Deami Brown if we're just talking about who's making the team, De'Ami Brown is, is, is in there. I think Adam Humphreys and Cam Sims, I don't know which of those guys I would pick is the better bet to be the third receiver from a production standpoint, but those would be my two candidates, even though De'Ami Brown could sneak in there, but just because he's a rookie, sometimes you, we'll see how that goes, but he's looked very good in camp, but Cam Sims gives you that size. Humphreys is a slot threat. who has been hurt the last couple of years, but had over 70 catches in 2018. I think those five are good. And then it gets so interesting. You have so many guys. You've got Antonio Gandy-Golden, Kelvin Harmon, Stephen Sims, Isaiah Wright. Um, I may be forgetting somebody. I don't have the roster right in front of me. There are a lot of guys, and most of those guys I just said under other years. I mean, Stephen Sims was a starter last year. Kelvin Harmon started in 2019. Uh, you know, he, he was hurt obviously all last year. A lot of times we'd be looking at these guys and think, hey, can one of these guys surprise in this case? It's just we're talking about guys could even they even make the team. I've got Antonio Gandy Golden as the sixth. He was a fourth round pick last year under Ron Rivera. Obviously, it was a lot of promise. And then he got, you know, he, it was going to take a minute for him to go from Liberty to the NFL. Then he got hurt. So it was a washout season. But I I have him as the sixth. I also met, I forgot to mention Dax Milne, the rookie, the seventh round pick as another guy in the conversation. I've got, oh, DeAndre Carter, another guy, more of the returner, but nonetheless, he's a wide receiver by trade. So those are the six I got. McLaurin, Samuel, Humphreys, Cam Sims, De'Ami Brown, Gandy Golden. But it is a fascinating position. And if you told me they keep seven by the end, I won't be stunned. But six right now is what I've got. All right. I've got eight. Uh, I've got them keeping a ton of receivers. Yes. I've got McLaurin, Samuel, Humphreys, Cam Sims. Harmon, Gandy Golden, Diami Brown, and DeAndre Carter. Uh, I think DeAndre Carter is going to be the punt return man. It was very interesting to me listening to Nate Katz or talk to you guys on Thursday. First of all, Washington has been horrendous on punt returns for years. The last four seasons, Washington has finished 25th or worse in the NFL in yards per punt return as a team. Just abysmal. 
And last season, it wasn't just the low yards per punt return. It was the fumbling issue. Steven Sims couldn't hold on to the football. Isaiah Wright had issues holding on to the football. DeAndre Carter gets signed this offseason. He does have a history of being a punt return man. He's actually been fairly good as a punt return man. His career average on punt returns is more than nine. He's a small guy, that's true, but he's also a fast guy. Uh, he gave you guys a good answer. Uh, Katzer did on Carter in that uh, press conference you guys had there on Thursday. So, uh, you know, Carter doesn't make the team as a pass catcher, but I think he does make the team as the primary punt return man. And I think this is an underrated issue. Like I said, Washington's really been bad on punt returns for years. And uh, that's the kind of thing you're like, okay, how can Washington be better this upcoming season? That's like a clear way. And Washington made it a point to sign DeAndre Carter. So I've got him making it. And yes, I do have eight receivers. I know that probably sounds nuts. It doesn't happen often, certainly, that a, team's begin, that a team begins its season with eight receivers on the 53-man roster. But I think this is a rare case in which that does take place. Wait, so the six I had, Carter, and who was the other one? Carter, Brown, Harmon, AGG, Sims, Humphreys, Samuel, and McLaurin. Yeah. Oh, Harmon. Okay, got it. So Harmon. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it is a ridiculously hard spot. It feels like there could almost be a trade here at some point because they do have too many guys, I'm not all, unless you're in the Al Galdi world and you're keeping all of them. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll – I'll talk more about the returner and DeAndre Carter when we get to the 52, 53, but ultimately that is the part that's fascinating when to the point where you're talking about Nate Katzer, all the players that they talked about that who are, and Ron Rivera mentioned these names as well, that are in the mix to be the returner. None of them are on the standard 53 other than perhaps Danny Johnson, who really was more of a kick returner than a punt returner. And that does make me question sort of the idea of, well, wait, I can look at this conventionally or I can look at it like you're saying, like keeping more than six receivers. And I do think that's where the 52 and 53 man conversation comes into play. And I'll, I'll share more thoughts on that. But I, I like I like it. Uh, it's very interesting uh, for 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 sure. Um, so now, of course, the question is, you've got eight there, which means you've got two more players on the roster right now than I do. We've only got two positions left, tight end, offensive line. So we'll see where Al goes here. Uh, I've got three tight ends. Logan Thomas, uh, John Bates, the fourth round pick, and Tamarik Hemingway, who was the uh, sort of took over as like sort of the default number two last year before he got he got hurt. Um, you know, no Samus Reyes. I, I think he'll be a practice squad guy and and go from there. He's still you know, learning his craft. Um, so that's I look. Tight end is another position where if you told me they added somebody else before. Um, before the season starts, it wouldn't be stunned, but they do at least now between Hemingway, they added Ricky Seals Jones. They've got at least a couple of the equivalent of a guy you would add in off the street. And they'd sort of have to pick from that. Again, if you want to tell me they only keep two and the third guy is somebody who's on the practice squad and they play that game for a little bit fine, but to try to keep it conventional, you keep three tight ends and that's the three that I would have right now. So I have to make cuts somewhere because I have my eight receivers. Uh, I have two tight ends. That's it. I've got Logan Thomas and John Bates. I'm with you on Reyes. I think he goes to the practice squad. I think if you listen between the lines to what Pete Hayner said on Monday, you know, I think they like Reyes, but this is a major work in progress. This is a really tall task that's in in front of Reyes trying to do this. He's never played football at any meaningful level, and he's trying to make a 53-man roster. I mean, I, I think it's just tough to do. Uh, you know, could Tamaric Hemingway make it? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, he was on the team as last season went on. I also think it's notable, this guy, Dion Yelder, who Washington signed this offseason. He's been around the NFL, was with the Kansas City Chiefs, so I wouldn't completely discount him 
But I think that this is an offense where it's just about what can you do? It's not so much about like what position you can play. You already have two potential really productive pass catchers, a running back in Gibson and McKissick, although they didn't really use Gibson that much as a pass catcher last year. I do think that that uh, should change. I hope that it does change this coming season. So I think it's Logan Thomas and John Bates. And, you know, I think Washington, and if you're a Washington fan like me, you keep your fingers crossed that Logan Thomas stays healthy. Uh, They really lucked out last year in terms of how good he was and how healthy he was because beyond him, they didn't target basically any other tight end last season. And, um, you know, if Thomas gets hurt, that is the risk here that, okay, John Bates becomes your TE one. Is he up to that challenge? You know, I don't know, Uh, but you you can't keep eight receivers and not make cuts elsewhere. So I do have the Washington team keeping just the two tight ends. Yeah. And and like I said, if we're going with the same practice squad rules and you keep two or three of these tight ends on there, uh, a Hemingway, Ricky Seals, Jones, even Samus Reyes, you can play the game of, all right, well, we'll bring this guy up for two weeks. And then if we have to cut him, we'll move to the next guy and so on and so on. So you could play that. And yeah, from a pure talent perspective, it feels like the receivers are more talented than the tight ends, similar to what we said about the sixth um, linebacker. So uh, I'm with you. We'll not sit here and disparage it. I, I won't, I won't stand for anybody ripping out for, for, for that thinking, but um yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to for, for sure. So we get to the offensive line. I have 10. Clearly, Al's going to have nine based on the math. So my 10 uh, looks like this. Hold on. I've been doing all this from memory, but now I'm going to pull up my list here because I uh, my memory is uh, for crap. Um, so basically, obviously, going left to right with the starters, you got Charles Leno. You got, we'll see if whether it's Schweitzer or Flowers, but just for argument's sake, Schweitzer uh, as the left guard, he's been playing with the ones primarily to this point. Chase Ruye, Brandon Scherf, Cornelius Lucas. Behind them at tackles, you've got Sam Cosme and Sadiq Charles. Then you've got Eric Flowers. I think from here, it's sort of Keith Ismail, Tyler Larson, David Sharp, two of those three. Uh, the, the, the Ishmael Larson one is fascinating. Ishmael was drafted last year under Ron Rivera, but they then signed Tyler Larson, one of these Carolina guys who, who Rivera knows quite well. It's possible you keep both, but you know I don't know if that's the case. And then Sharp was a guy who they traded for last year. He he started a little bit at tackle when they had some of those injuries. And you know my 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 reasoning for keeping ten linemen it's it, it's a, it, again it maybe it's one too many, especially in a world where you do have this practice squad stuff. And look, some games you only have seven linemen active, as we discussed before, the the silly rules. You only have so many players available. So maybe keeping 10, if you only have seven guys active in a given week, is a bit much. But at the same time, offensive line is very valuable. If if I have a tackle, I think can play. I want to keep that guy. So I went 10 for right now. Yeah, I got the nine. Uh, I've got Lucas, Cosme, Leno, Flowers, Schweitzer, Rulier, Sheriff, Charles, and then it comes down to, you mentioned those three guys. It comes down to Washington only keeping one of the three, Sharp, Ismail, Larson. I think it's Sharp, but, you know, I could be convinced on the other two. You know, I'm not like, this is not a hill I will die on. Uh, I, r- the reason I went with Sharp is, like you said, first of all, Washington did trade for him. Second of all, uh, Ron brought up David Sharp the other day in one of these press conferences. So I, I always pay attention to that. Like, who are some of the back of the roster people who the coach makes it a point to bring up or who comes up? in conversation with the coach sharp did come up but ismail you had a pick that was spent on him and larson's an interesting guy like you said goes back to ron's time with the panthers 
And Larson is one of these position flex guys, interior offensive lineman, can play guard, can play center. Uh, he actually started a bunch for the Panthers in the 2017 season, uh, during which Ryan Khalil got injured. So there's a history there with Tyler Larson and Ron Rivera. And Ron has trusted Larson to start in the past. But if I had to guess, I'd say sharp. Uh, but I really like what Washington has with the offensive line, even with the releasing of Morgan Moses and, you know, I guess Jaron Christian too. This is still, it feels like the deepest Washington has been in a, in a while along the offensive line. We all remember the hell of that 2017 season in which it was one offensive line injury after another and Washington had to be pulling guys off the streets. The beauty about this offensive line is, no, it may not be great, but it certainly seems to be deep. And you're not like wedded to any one guy at any one spot with the exception, I guess, of Brandon Sheriff at right guard. But like at left guard, I mean, I'm not even convinced that Eric Flowers is a starter. Wes Schweitzer did a nice job last season. And, you know, Flowers did not do well for Miami last year. So I wouldn't be stunned if Schweitzer is the guy. But whoever it is, I think you feel pretty good about. You know, left tackle, probably Charles Leno. But if Cornelius Lucas is called upon again, he did a nice job as last season went on. You know, right tackle, they love Samuel Cosme. But if he's not ready, obviously you could go with Lucas at that spot. Everyone likes uh, Chase Rulier. So, you know, that certainly seems to be his spot. So I guess you'd say Rulier and Sheriff are locked in. Uh, and, and if you don't have either guy, then there are concerns. But, you know, you also have Sadiq Charles as a wild card in this, you know, could be a tackle, could be a guard, someone who was taken in the fourth round. But a lot of people said would have been a second or third round pick if not for the off the field stuff at LSU. So I'm excited about the offensive line. And uh, I've got the, those nine guys making the team. It says something about where they were last year that neither one of us mentioned the guy who started the first five games at left guard, Wes Martin, who is still yep. here. They, they did yep. move on from Jaron Christian, but Wes Martin's still here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to think too much about um, him. In your case, you only have essentially one center on the team. So, uh, uh, you know, if from an interior, I mean, even if you say that Sadiq Charles can play guard, I guess I'm, I, I don't think we're so far as to say he could play center. So that would be a question. And I don't think either Ismail or Larson would be a, a practice squad candidate because somebody would likely uh, scoop them. Maybe not Larson, but, you know, I would, I would, I would guess. Um, so that would be, I guess, my one quibble, uh, on that concept, but you know, this is, this is part of the trade-off. How, you can't keep all, all these, uh, all these guys. No, you can't. And you know, they have a very good offensive line coach and John Matsko. like you've brought up. If the practice squad rules are the same, then hopefully you can park, you know, like your backup center, some of these other guys on that practice squad and, uh, and have them good to go. But I, I, I it's, it's a good sign. You know, like we've talked about with receiver, you have all of these candidates for the offensive line and it's hard to cut some of these guys. Like you, you say, okay, that guy's will make the team that guy will make the team. It's hard to uh, make it so that like all these guys don't make the team. All right. So we've gone through the positions, but like I said at the top, I want to like also look at it from the 52 and 53 perspective. Cause while it's keeping, we did a little bit of this during the, the, the 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 show as Al's keeping crazy amounts of people at certain spots. I kid. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you have to determine. Okay, so what what are your sort of like what are these last battles? And so um like for me we can just go through sort of mine because we we talk all about the same players. Like so for me, like okay, so it's kind of like am I keeping a seventh receiver or a sixth linebacker or a tenth offensive lineman or a ninth defensive lineman? Now in this case, like I said, I went with a sixth linebacker, but if that sixth linebacker is Jordan Kanasek, boy, he's going to have to be one hell of a special teams player. If that means I'm not keeping one of these receivers or a Shaka Tony uh, or something else, I guess I also went with 10 offensive linemen. So it's, uh, so it's, 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 it's that for me, whereas Al only had the, 
the the the, the nine. I mean, as the more I've talked about it and talked about it out loud, I, I do feel like keeping the returner, forget position, but keeping the returner over the six linebacker, knowing that like I could probably get Norris and Kanasik on the practice squad or you know at least one of them, and then play that game and see what happens. Unfortunately, there will be injuries week one, week two, and there will be a roster spot that opens up and so on and so on. So that is the battle. And like I said, the fact that the return, that the punt returners that they were all discussing are guys who otherwise are not making my team other than Danny Johnson, who I don't really know if he's a punt returner, something has to give. So unless like Adam Humphreys, who has returned punts in his career suddenly becomes a punt returner or, you know, something else happens, you have to do something. And that's the one spot I've been sort of hung up on. Now, DeAndre Carter will mention got some work with the ones, which isn't to say, oh, wait, he could start. No, no. I just mean they shifted guys around a different position that he was at least viewed to be interesting enough to get out there. And that's to your point. I think if he were to make the team, well, well he isn't just a returner. What else could he potentially do? So Carter would be the guy that I'm sort of like, oh, man, what do I do to get this guy out on the field? Milne is another interesting one. And I guess maybe Steven Sims, but I feel like with Steven Sims, we know what he is, but Adam Humphreys is only here for a one on a one-year deal. Milne could be the slot guy. I mean, who's the slot guy next year? There's so many of these variables, a lot of guys on one-year deals. So I think that's my one where I'm sort of like, do I go with the returner in this case, probably the seventh receiver and drop the six linebacker that that's sort of my debate on the 53 more than anything else. And you mentioned like, you know, the keeping that extra, uh, we both had eight defensive linemen, but could you keep the ninth guy possibly? Maybe um, it's something to consider, but yeah, the, the seventh receiver slash six linebacker, it's both a special teams question. It's going to come down to more of, well, do we have, do we have another returner who could be on this roster or not? Yeah. So I think my, my belief with the roster is you keep essentially your 53 best guys. Now I know it's not as simple as that because positions do matter somewhat, but I think teams should really attack the season opening roster question from a standpoint of, all right, like, for instance, receiver tight end. If you have a bunch of receivers who you like and you don't have many tight ends who you like, you, you, why do you have to keep three tight ends? Like, just keep two and just keep more receivers. Like, you're allowed to do that. We see tight ends line up as receivers all the time. Jordan Reed did it a ton. You know, you have some receivers who almost act as, like, secondary tight ends. Like, Kelvin Harmon in his rookie season was the best blocking pass catcher on Washington. So he's almost kind of sort of like a tight end. You know, I know it's not exact, but so I, I just think teams need to be open to that. I think Washington is. I think there's a reason Ron keeps talking up this position flex thing. I, I think it really is just about guys who do multiple things and not getting so wedded to positions as it is to being wedded to guys. And if you really like a guy, you find a way to keep them. I think the questions are, though, how many receivers do they keep? Uh, how many corners do they keep? Because beyond kind of the big four of Jackson, Fuller, Moreland, and I'm assuming Benjamin St. Juice is going to make a team. I mean, who else? You know, Danny Johnson, I almost don't even count him as a corner. He's a guy, like we said, he's a kickoff return guy. Didn't play a single defensive snap last season. Like, that's got to be understood with somebody like that. And then I think at linebacker, again, I don't know how many guys they truly like there. I think four guys are safe in Holcomb, Bostic, Davis, Hudson. Although Bostic, there is that outside shot that they cut him, but they do seem to really like him. But do they keep a David Mayo? Do they keep a Jared Norris? Do they keep a Jordan Kanasik, as you brought up? Um, so I, I think that's kind of what you're looking at here. But like certain things on this roster, I, I feel very certain of. I, like I think they're going to keep a lot of safeties. I think they should. I think they have safeties they like. And 
Uh, at free safety especially, you can make an argument for really one of three guys, Everett, Reeves, McCain, to be the starter. So keep all three. I'm like, why? You don't have to cut any of those guys. Keep them and see what ends up happening at a spot like that. You know, the offensive line, a lot of guys to like, a lot of guys to feel like could end up contributing depending on help. Um, so keep those guys. You know, you don't have to cut any of these people. And I, I think the question mark, too, is, and we got into this, but at edge rusher, beyond Young and Sweat, what are they thinking here? Like, are they going to keep two of the three out of Tony, Bradley, King, and Smith-Williams? Do they only keep one of the three? Do they don't keep any of the three, try to practice squad some of those guys and end up signing someone who gets cut by another team? So all of these things, I, I think, are out there. Uh, with this roster but I think there is a lot to like and be excited about with this roster I you know for years it's been like Washington is going to have to backdoor its way into the postseason or Washington is going to have to get lucky to have itself a good season I think you can realistically say this is one of the better rosters on paper you know we'll see what plays out but on paper that Washington has had in a while I'm going to push back on one thing uh week one against the Chargers imagine all the different offensive formations you could possibly have one of them is three tight ends. Like it's not like like, an, like the eight receivers, like they're not going to play six receivers, right? I mean, you can't actually do that, but you can play three tight ends. Now, if you want to tell me that, well, hey, Sam Cosme's a pretty good athlete. He actually caught a pass for a touchdown to Texas. Maybe you only go two tight ends. And if you went in that scenario happens, you make Sam Cosme the third tight end. Okay, I guess we could play that game perhaps, but obviously they have bigger plans for him. So that would be my own thing. It's like a literal thing that a, that a team will do is use three tight ends. And if we're saying they only have two, then they automatically can't do that. Again, they could just go the extra lineman. So it's not like you can't do it. So that would be my only sort of like pushback on something like that. But again, to your larger point, the goal is to keep the best players you possibly can and figure out how to use everybody to the degree that you can. If we're only we're talking three tight ends, what are we talking about? Three snaps, four snaps. Like I wouldn't necessarily cut somebody just for that but i'm just saying at the same time that is something that actually happens as opposed to kelvin Harmon in the scenario we we're presenting he'll never even be he'll never be active as long as everybody else is actually active yeah you know i just i would never do something like keep tameric hemingway or Dion yelder over someone i like i mean if and we don't know maybe they don't like maybe they don't like kelvin Harmon that much but i'm assuming they do so i, I just i wouldn't keep a third tight end because you feel like you have to have a third tight end. I would figure out ways around that. I mean, you don't go with three tight end sets a bunch. Um, they didn't do a ton in the way of two tight end sets last year. So I just would keep those guys who you feel the best about, who you feel can end up contributing. And I think they have people like that. It, you know, it would be nice, like the DeAndre Carter thing, I have him making the team. It would be nice if he didn't have to make the team, nothing against him, but it would be nice if one of these other guys could rise up and be a quality punt return man. But that's been a problem here. They, they've not been able to find that. So unfortunately, I feel like they've been kind of backed into a corner where if they want to fix punt return, uh, the, the punt return situation, and they need to, again, they've been really bad on punt returns. They almost have to have someone specifically for punt returns. And that's why I do see Carter making the team. But ideally, that's not something you have. Ideally, it's someone who does something else who ends up being your primary punt return man. All right, I've kept Al too long. Anything the world needs to know about the Al Galdi podcast or your life in general? Anything that, uh, you know, the, the, the Al Galdi podcast, it's a lot of Washington football team, but it's not only. I mostly get my Baltimore Orioles updates listening to you because uh, I don't have time to read. Go, go subscribe to The Athletic. We don't have time to read. Uh, so I listen to Al's podcasts uh, on that. What, uh, anything else to, to note, promote, mention? 
Yeah, no, I mean, in terms of my life, I'm uh, completely overmatched as a father of two. But yes, the Al Galdi podcast, uh, new episodes every weekday, Monday through Friday, and the new episodes come out by 5 a.m. each weekday. So you can wake up to uh, everything going on in D.C. sports. Like you said, I do a ton on the Washington football team, but also talk plenty of Nationals, Wizards, Capitals, uh, Orioles, Terrapins, Hoyas, etc. So we have a lot of fun doing that, and uh, we're in a very interesting time of year now with the Washington offseason essentially done, although more moves could be coming. But uh, we have a lot of fun things planned uh, between now and the start of training camps. So you can find a podcast uh, wherever you find, of course, the Standing Room Only podcast, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, etc. Somebody left me a nice mention on iTunes the other day, uh, you know, and it was specifically to me, you could tell based on the comments, but they referenced me as Al. So I, oh, they I, did. They did. So I took that as a, uh, hey, look, you, you know, if, if you have Al on the brain, but you're writing about me, I'm going to take it. Hey, you know what? I've, I've had much worse things said about me. So I will take that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, Al, appreciate it. Uh, as always, man. Thanks. I always enjoy, man. Thank you. All right. That's it for this episode of the Standing Room Only podcast. Many thanks to Al Galdi for his time. Thanks to everybody here for, of course, checking out the podcast. Um, you know, my plan is to um, get away for a little bit during these uh, d- during this downtime. So hopefully everybody else has the opportunity to get away this summer themselves. I'm going to keep the podcast going. I don't know if it's going to be one episode a week, but we'll figure something out as we go through here. So hopefully everybody will stay on top of things. I may not be uh, you know, banging out the tweets as much with regards to the podcast or anything else, but hopefully if you subscribe, you won't miss any of the episodes. So that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Stay safe. Until next time, see ya.